This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Essays in Radical Empiricism by William James Chapter 13 Controversy About Truth William James, John E. Russell The Journal of Philosophy, Psychology and Scientific Methods Volume 4, Issue 11, May 23, 1907 Pages 289 to 296 Discussion Controversy about Truth To the editors of the Journal of Philosophy, Psychology and Scientific Methods The pragmatistic conception of truth is so important that no amount of printer's ink spent upon it ought to be considered wasted. My exposition of it in number six of this year's journal was sent back to me with copious critical annotations on its margins by Professor John E. Russell. This led to an exchange of letters between us, in which one issue at least got sharpened, and as that issue is probably the most prevalent stumbling-block, I ask you, in the interest of clarifying the question, to print the correspondence as it was written. I subjoin our letters. Sincerely yours, William James 1. Dear Russell, Your notes bring out the exact point of misunderstanding and the exact difficulty with which pragmatism has to cope in making converts. You say, quote, Events in the way of verification do not make an idea true. They only prove that it is true or was true. Unquote. There is the whole difference between us in a nutshell. The statement seems to mean that truth is a quality of the idea numerically distinct from the events which are its proof. But don't you then think that the said quality ought to be somehow definable as it is in and per se? I hoped for the definition as I read your comments, but in the end I found no new definition, only the old ones of agreement with reality and of thinking the reality as it is. Now what does agreement mean? Does it mean anything different from, or prior to, the copyings and leadings by which pragmatism explicates the word? These are perfectly well-defined relations of the idea to the reality or to the reality's associates and surroundings. And what does thinking the reality as it is mean unless it be either copying it or leading straight up to it or thinking it in its right surroundings, which last notion means terminating at places to which it, the reality, also leads? You speak of Leverrier's idea of Neptune being true before it had led him to verify it. Doubtless. But pray define its truth apart from those leadings and guidings. The word truth means just such leadings and guidings. Had his idea led him to point his telescope to a vacant part of the sky, it would have been untrue. Is untruth, then, also a resident and previous quality in ideas? Leading to that point, Leverrier's idea certainly was true. I can conceive no other kind of truth, 
and, of course, quite as true when only verifiable as it was after the verification. Even so the star was Neptune, both before and after its baptism, for in the star universe that star is all that Neptune ever can mean. In the case of Neptune, you don't separate the name from the fact found, and make it a cause thereof. You don't say the star was found at that point because it was Neptune. But in the case of the idea, you say it led to that point because it was true. But just as Neptune means nothing but the star, which at a certain moment is at that point, so true means nothing but the idea which, instead of leading you elsewhere, leads you thither. Otherwise, it's like raising a dispute about whether blood is red because it looks so, or looks so because it's red. You ought to insist on the latter formula. I call them equally correct. You may say either that the leading makes the idea true, or that it proves it true, for you are only talking of the same thing in different words. The leading both makes you call the idea true, and proves that you have called it so justly. Take another illustration. Does bread nourish us because it is food? Or is it food because it nourishes? Or, finally, are being food and nourishing only two ways of naming the same physiological events? And if this last view be correct here, why isn't it just as correct in the case of truth? The concrete facts denoted by the word truth are ideas that guide us towards certain termini. Other connotations of the word than these same guidings it is for you to show. If you can't, then we may say either that the ideas are true because they guide, or that they guide because they are true. To be true and to guide are precisely equivalent terms, of which you may make either you like the more primordial in significance. Otherwise, and this is the point which I emphasize, and on which I insist, you must point out some substantive connotation in the word truth over and above such guiding processes. If you can do this, I surrender, but I don't see how you can do it. It seems to me that there is no other connotation, any more than there is in the case of Neptune. Neptune means the star that gets there, and true means the idea that gets there. Agreement correspondence, thinking the object as it is, all resolve themselves into guidings, into getting there somehow. You argue as if, in spite of its getting there, an idea might still be false, unless the intrinsic epistemological virtue of being true were superadded. I wish you'd explain how. To me it couldn't be false under those circumstances. Revert to food. In this case, we do have some additional connotations, a certain chemical structure, say, that explain the physiological events in advance. We know nothing of such connotations as yet, but we suppose they may some day be known. If the word food should connote primarily such chemical structure, and only secondarily digestions, absorptions, etc., then you might contend that bread nourishes because it is food, and isn't food because it nourishes. But you would still be on purely verbal ground, and even then you would have to define positively these new-fangled connotations. 
Meanwhile, please observe that the word true has absolutely no such further connotations. It has no more of them than Neptune has. It denotes certain ideas, and it connotes their getting there. Here I must leave the matter. As a pragmatist, I can defy you to find any other practical meaning to the word truth than that it guides and gets us there. If, failing to do that, you nevertheless call our account an inadequate account of what you mean by truth, why then, again as a pragmatist, I can wash my hands of the whole controversy. It is trivial. It has no meaning. Yours, etc., William James Two. Dear James, I think the issue between the intellectualist and the pragmatist narrows itself down to the question of the validity and the value of two distinctions. The first is the distinction between the ideas being true and the proof that the idea is true. The second distinction is that between a true idea and its instrumental function in leading, guiding behavior to desirable issues in experience. The intellectualist insists that these distinctions are valid and important to a right conception of knowledge. The pragmatist denies this. He contends that the terms true, truth, leading, guiding, getting there, etc. are different names for the same thing. That the term truth applied to an idea has the same function that the name Neptune, for instance, has when applied to a particular planetary body in the heavens. The pragmatist, after having made, agreeing with reality, being as it is thought, etc., mean, leading, guiding, coming into practical relation with, getting there, etc., challenges the intellectualist to point out any other significant connection which his terms, true, truth, etc., can have. The pragmatist says to the intellectualist, I pray you to define the truth of an idea apart from its leadings and guidings. I defy you to supply other meanings to the word truth than that of guiding and getting us there. Does agreement mean anything different from that copying and leading by which pragmatism explicates this word? Now this puts the intellectualist in a hard situation. If he answers, I mean by a true idea, an idea that agrees with, that copies or corresponds to reality, the pragmatist replies, but what is it to agree with, to copy, etc., reality, if it be not just to lead, to guide, to get there? Now what can the intellectualist say in reply? Suppose he undertakes to define his meaning of truth in different terms. These terms would suffer the same fate. The pragmatist would explicate them in his terms of leading, guiding, getting there, etc., and then ask the naked intellectualist to put on different garments. I can see no other way by which the intellectualist can escape this dilemma than simply to abide by the terms by which he has defined a true idea, and insist that it is the pragmatist who has forced upon these terms a meaning they cannot take without involving one in intellectual confusion. The intellectualist should, therefore, maintain that the terms in which he explicates the meaning of a true idea give a perfectly defined relation of the idea to reality. What more definite relation can legitimately be demanded? 
how can the intellectualist in fairness be asked to define in other terms what he means by agreement with by copying by thinking reality as it is may he not with more propriety ask the pragmatist by what right he makes these terms mean leading guiding getting there etc this leads me to the real issue between the intellectualist and the pragmatist and first to that distinction between an idea's being true and the proof that it is or was true let us take the case of le verrier in the discovery of the planet neptune we have the following things one certain perturbations in the motions of the planet uranus which could not be explained by the influence of known bodies of the solar system two we have le verrier's idea of a planetary body of a certain mass and position in the heavens three we have the agreement between the calculated perturbations which this hypothetical body should produce in the motions of uranus and the actual perturbations observed four we have the discovery of this planet afterwards named neptune by a german astronomer who following the suggestion of le verrier pointed his telescope to that exact spot in the heavens where this planet was now the intellectualist contends that le verrier's hypothetical conception was true the instant it existed in his mind and that the trueness of his idea consisted in its agreement with a fact a piece of reality an object at that time existing namely that planet occupying a particular place in the physical universe it was the existence of neptune then and there which made it possible for him to have a true idea at that time had he thought differently about this planet this same body would have made his thought untrue his idea was true for no other reason and true in no other meaning of the terms than that it agreed with its object furthermore the contention of the intellectualist is that had le verrier gone no farther in his undertaking had no telescope ever discovered that planet his idea would have been as true as it was after the discovery which completed the verification of his hypothesis his idea did not get its quality of truth by the process of verification this only produced the certainty in his and other minds that his idea was true it is one thing for an idea to be true it is quite a different thing to prove that this idea is true it is one thing to hit a mark to know that you have hit a mark is a different thing a bell may ring to let you know that you have made a bull's eye the ringing of the bell is a sign the criterion of the correctness of your aim but it hardly constitutes the trueness of your aim or your making the bull's eye le verrier's idea hit its mark what was subsequently done made that fact known truth and verification are therefore different things and to make the truth or the verity of an idea consist in its verification is to introduce mental confusion and to make unintelligible such a procedure as le verrier's in the discovery of neptune it is true to say that a true idea is one that can be verified and that only true ideas can be verified but then these ideas are not true because they are verified they are verifiable because they are already true this brings the intellectualist to the second distinction upon which he insists namely the distinction between truth and its valuation in terms of desirable experience 
to say that truth should have good practical consequences, that those ideas are true which work well in practice, that every true idea leads into satisfying experiences of some sort, is to say what no intellectualist need deny. But to say that an idea is true because it has this practically good issue, or because it works well, is to say quite a different thing, and something which no intellectualist can accept. There are so contends the intellectuals, conditions on which our human action or the course of experience depends, and to which our actions, our experiences, must conform if they are to have successful and satisfying issues. Only as a particular experience is in agreement with conditions of experience, überhaupt, can it lead to beneficial or desirable experiences. Ideas, therefore, can work well, can lead successfully, only if they first agree with reality, with the objective and determining conditions of our experience. This is just the fact that the pragmatist overlooks when he identifies the truth of an idea with its practically good leadings and consequences. He insists that truth shall be practical, but he fails to answer the question, how can an idea or a course of experience have a practically good leading or result. To take your illustration of bread as food, you ask, does bread nourish because it is food, or is it food because it nourishes? Or are being food and nourishing only two ways of meaning the same physiological events? The intellectualist answers, bread nourishes us because it contains those chemical elements which are nutritive. A particular substance is not bread because it nourishes, it nourishes because it is bread. Being food and nourishing are two ways of meaning the same physiological events, but being bread and nourishing are not two ways of meaning the same physiological events. The intellectualist need not deny that a true idea has an instrumental function in relation to our various needs, that a true idea is a tool to be used in the service of the will or our practical nature, but he contends that the efficiency of the instrument, the serviceableness of the tool, depends upon the construction of the instrument, upon the quality of the tool. That a knife cuts well proves indeed that it is a good knife, but that which enables the knife to cut well is the quality of the steel and the fashion of the instrument. In other words, the knife cuts well because it was rightly made. Its cutting well merely proves that the knife was rightly made. The proof of the pudding is in the eating, but it will hardly do to say, therefore the good eating is the pudding, or is that in the pudding which gives us that satisfying experience of eating this pudding. Yours, etc., John E. Russell. 3. Dear Russell, your letter is so ultra-clear, and brings the question down to where the wool is so short, that I can't help dashing off one more word, though I know I can't convert you. First I note with extreme pleasure your explicit confession that truth, in the intellectualist sense, cannot be further defined. It means agreement, and agreement means truth. That is one point clearly gained. My second remark is simply this. If true be not an abstract name for the property of verifiability in an idea, 
then an idea might conceivably be true, though absolutely unverifiable. There might be no empirical mediation between it and its object, no leading either to the object or towards it or into its associates, and yet it might still be true as agreeing with the object. But then you are met by Royce's old argument. How do you know it means to be true of that object? It might agree perfectly in the sense of copying, yet not be true unless it meant to copy. Und zwar that particular original. An egg isn't true of another egg, because it is not supposed to aim at the other egg at all, or to intend it. Neither is my toothache true of your toothache. Royce makes the absolute do the aiming and intending. I make the chain of empirical intermediaries do it. What does it in your philosophy? Yours, etc., William James. 4. Dear James, according to the meaning of a true idea I have been maintaining, it does follow not only that an idea is true prior to its verification, but also that an idea may remain unverified in our human experience. I would not, however, say that an idea can be true and be absolutely unverifiable, for there may be such a being as Royce's absolute, and if so, no true idea can remain unverified. In the experience of the Roycean absolute, truth and verification do not fall apart as they do in our human experience. The Roycean question with which you confront me, I must confess, has never given me a pause or seemed a serious one at all. How do you know that your idea means to be true of its object? I answer, when I think, I know what I am thinking about, just as I know what mark I am aiming at when I am engaged in target shooting. My thinking as such is selective of its object and knows its own intent, namely to think that object as that object is. My thought picks out this particular piece of the real world and means to agree with it just as I pick out my target and intend to hit it. For instance, I am now thinking of you among your books in your study at Cambridge. I mean to think of you and your immediate surroundings, your present doings, as you and they are now at this hour, ten o'clock in the morning. In so doing, I know what object I mean to agree with in my present thinkings. Now, the Roycean absolute may exist, and if it does, he of course knows whether or not my present thought of you is now true, but the knowing of that being is no more necessary to constitute the truth of my idea, or to explain the fact that I aim at you in my idea, than is the presence of an onlooker when I am shooting at a mark essential to my aiming at and hitting or missing that mark, nor does it seem to me that your claim of intermediaries is in any manner essential to the meaning, the intent, or the truth of my present thought of you, which is sufficient unto itself both to select its object and to determine its truth or untruth. Yours, etc. John E. Russell 5. Dear Russell, we seem now to have laid bare our exact difference. According to me, meaning a certain object and agreeing with it are abstract notions of both of which definite concrete accounts can be given. According to you, they shine by their own inner light 
and no further account can be given. They may even obtain, in cases where human verification is impossible, and make no empirical difference to us. To me, using the pragmatic method of testing concepts, this would mean that the word truth might on certain occasions have no meaning whatever. I still must hold to its having always a meaning, and continue to contend for that meaning being unfoldable and representable in experiential terms. Yours, etc., William James End of chapter 13 Controversy about truth